the BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download and listen to for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and this week with horticultural expert Jeff Hodge. Coming up, we'll be answering your questions on everything from green fly and rockeries to hydrangeas. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. Jeff, it's a warm welcome to the programme. The, <laughs> the word heat wave has cropped up. Temperatures are 30 in some of the areas, now affecting our gardens a bit. I know, it was about 20, what was it What was it in your car? Mine was 23, 24 coming in. Mine was 25 to 26. So that's warm, isn't it? Yeah, yes. Now, plants, do they like it warm or don't they, do you think? Some do. Some, some don't. Some don't. <laughs> so come on then, what have you got as tips then? OK, well, I'm thinking about one of those beautiful climbers, wisterias. And, um, you know, they've been flowering beautifully so far this year. But to make sure that they flower well in, in subsequent years, you need to prune them. So um, I always say that the first thing to do is, is not to really worry too much about the flowers if it's a young plant. It, it's far more important to build up a permanent uh, network of branches that will cover the support so that you've got a fabulous looking display uh, and, and the sort of main framework of the plant. Um, and then you, you prune them twice a year. I won't, we won't talk about the second no, time we'll yet. Give, 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 we'll, tell, we'll, we'll, come back to that. we'll come back to that. Um, so that is carried out in summer. So now, June, July are the best times. If they you really forget. are growing at the moment this year, aren't they? Yes, wow. and you get all that long, yeah. whippy growth. Now what you need to do, and, and this helps tidy them up as well, is that you cut them back to about five to seven leaflets from where they join that main branch work, uh, sorry, main framework of branches. And that, that's all there is to it. Just cut them back five to seven leaves. Uh, give them a good liquid feed with a, a feed, high yeah. potash mm. fertiliser so that will help encourage growth that will give you your flowers next year. Uh, and that's all there is to it. The second Simple. pruning is done in winter, so that's that's December and January. Hopefully really? hopefully, we'll, we'll give people that reminder later. It's interesting, isn't it, because you just explained how you shorten back, but actually if you think most things that you're trying to get into flower and, and fruit... You shorten back, don't you? Do fruit trees in Absolutely. a similar yeah, way? Yeah. Yeah. We do grapevines in a similar way. We're trying to There's encourage similarities, aren't there? We're trying to encourage growth that will produce your flowers. Yeah, house plants that sometimes produce flowers and general greenhouse plants. I reckon they need a summer holiday, and at this time of the year, our houses are, are far too dry yeah, for them wrong, during the summer. Wrong environment, but it is dangerous to just bring them out. I mean, if you've got a lovely deepen back here or or a, a nice rubber plant, and you put it it out and you think oh isn't it lovely and hot here and you put it in the strong sun you will burn the leaves because they can't cope with it after having been indoors so a nice semi-shaded semi-shaded yeah, not, not be not, ideal not deep shade unless no. unless it's a it's a plant that normally grows in, in deep the shade, shade yeah. but most don't most house plants are likers of warm conditions yeah orchids so, as well you can move out orchids much prefer to be you outside you can actually move most of your house plants out and then i'll tell you what when you go around in the evening with the hose put a sprayer on it and just give them a good spray yeah and that's a, a great way you cool. give them a bit of feed as well and off they go and house plants really do benefit from being outside at this time of the year. And it's a great way of giving your patio a bit of an exotic look. It does indeed. And group them, because they, they grow much better if they're in groups. Don't spread them along a wall or anything like that. Put them in a group, in a corner, or a rounded group. Make displays. It, that's it. Display them and give your houseplants, remember, a summer holiday. Well, we started off by talking about hot weather. We did. And, of course, the one thing then people worry about, and sometimes quite rightly so, is, you know, do I water them? Should I water them? How, how often do I water them? How much do I? How much water do I give them? And of course, if you've got you know well-established plants in your garden, unless we have a prolonged heat wave, they're not going to need watering. But there are lots of plants that will need regular watering. One of the things, uh, and again, even if they are well-established, there's quite a few shallow-rooted plants. Yeah. So hydrangeas. Camellias, azaleas, rhododendrons, heathers, and, and a lot of conifers. 
because they're so shallow rooted, they don't get their roots down into moist soil. So and giving them a good soak is a good idea. And that's why we should have thought of mulching, and possibly during the yeah. wetter periods of the year, isn't it? Yeah, because that'll hold the hold the, the moisture. Hold in. the moisture in. If you are going to water anything in your garden, don't go out there every night and throw a little bit of water around. And no think, good, is it? No, because it brings the roots to the surface where they will be more dependent on, on water. What you want to do is a thorough soaking so that the water moves right down the soil profile and then the roots will follow that down and uh, then be less susceptible to that dry weather. So a good soak once a week is, is better, far better. Isn't it? Yeah. You often go to, um, well, I often visit houses where people are watering and, and you see their containers particularly, you know, and you get either a hydrangea or even, even um, something like an acer in a container and you can see all they're doing is going can of water yeah can of water on the top and the roots are coming they're just on the surface and that's not where they should be is it no but obviously containers need more regular watering yeah. but then you know that doesn't always necessarily mean every day i mean we had a, a, a fairly poor summer a few summers ago i didn't water some of my containers for two weeks but again when i did thorough soaking waiting for that water to come out of the of the drainage hole and then you can stop so they are. There's things that you can be doing. And talking of watering, uh, don't forget feeding. Now, feeding is linked into watering. And if you've got containers, baskets and, you know, areas where they're small, you know, they're tighter. They haven't got the ability of drawing nutrient from the soils, surrounding soils. A good liquid feed at this time of year really works. And you can work that in with your watering program. You don't have to feed every day or if you like, you can dilute the feed down and include it in your watering every day but i like to do it you know once a week give them a blooming yeah. good feed uh, even i think even if you've given it um a controlled, controlled release, release for, when you, when you plant i still it. like to yeah. give them a liquid feed and if uh, plants need a liquid feed do it at night and you can put it over the leaf it's some of it's absorbed through the leaves as well you can make your display so much better with a good liquid feed at this time of year. And you mustn't miss out on lawns either, really, on liquid feeds, because if we're in a dry spell, a liquid feed on the lawn is the only way, really, yeah, to get that lawn going. Granular ones will, Just will, will burn way. at this time of yeah. year. So and, and if you can't cart around a heavy watering can with the liquid feed in it, then you can use a hose feeder. feeder. They're great. Yeah. Hose and feeder. Look out for those as well. Okay, well, I'm going to go into the vegetable garden. Right. Because a lot of people think, well, you know, it's, it's the height of summer. Can I sow stuff? And yes, there's still loads of things that you can sow. You know, all those fast maturing uh, salad crops. There's things that we, are, we can now sow for autumn and for overwintering and even for, for next spring. So we've got, you know, all the sort of salad crops, you know, your lettuces, your salad leaves, carrots, beetroot, things like swedes. A uh, vast number of things, even things like pak choy, which are getting uh, very popular. And this is the best time of year to sow um, uh, Florence fennel seeds as well. They don't really like being sown in the spring. So, uh, you know, prepare your drill. Yep. Put your seeds in thinly. Don't overdo it. You don't want to spend the whole the rest of the summer thinning everything out uh, and then water it in well. If we have a really prolonged dry period, what I do in my garden is that I make the drill deeper than is recommended. I line the drill with compost. I sow the seeds on the compost. I then water just in the drill, just over the compost and cover with dry soil. And then don't water until the seedlings so come So the dry through. soil is acting as a mulch, really, and it's, covering yeah, it's it over, holding it in. It's capping the, the mm. soil and keeping the moisture around the seeds, which is where you want it. And then when the seeds have germinated and you've got your seedlings, then you can start watering again. So they are. Plenty to do in the veg plot. And people think, don't they, oh, I've taken that row of lettuce out, that's it. But no, keep sowing. Yeah, lots, really. lots more lettuces you can keep going all the way through until the autumn. They are. There's some good tips from Jeff Hodge and myself, Ken Crowther. So come on, get out in that garden. Ken Crowther, answering your gardening questions. This is BBC Essex. Let's have a look at some of the gardening events taking place across Essex over the next few weeks. And we'll be starting with actually something quite interesting. It's the Hardy Plant Society. And as part of their celebrations to mark their diamond jubilee of the Hardy Plant Society, which is this year, 60 Hardy Plant Society members are opening their gardens to the public. Each garden is charging an entry fee, which most of the money will be nominated to a charity by the owner. For a full list of those gardens open, 
go on to this site and I'll tell you what, it's really worth having a look at some of those gardens because herbaceous are just coming into their own at this time of the year. So go on to www.hardy-plant.org.uk and then you can forward slash blog forward slash jubilee hyphen open hyphen gardens but you'll get led through the through the site to find those and i tell you what they're worth going to they really are on the 24th and 25th of june 10 till 5 that's the saturday and the sunday gardens across Uttlesford and harlow are open to raise money for the st Clair hospice it's, it's in its 23rd year 20 gardens are taking part and the brochure is just five pounds and contains details of all the locations of the garden so look out for that in the Uttlesford and harlow area on the 6th of July, the Tiptree Garden Club has a talk by Dr Ian Bedford on garden bugs and cohabit, conserve and control. He's been interested in insects and invertebrates uh, most of his life and will be happy to identify and give suggestions on how to deal with them. Entry is just a couple of quid for members and £3 for visitors, raffle, refreshments. That's Thursday, 6th of July, the Tiptree Garden Club. 8pm. 15th of July, a bit of advance warning. The matching charity farmers market, village hall, fresh produce, local farmers. And that's 10am till midday. Uh, just going through the end of, towards the end of July, 21st hour of July, that's a Friday, 2 till 5. Dragons at Boyton Cross, Chelmsford, is open to raise money for the ND National Garden Scheme. It's a three-quarter acre garden planted to encourage wildlife. Admission is £4, children are free, and it's homemade teas. So they are. And if you have an Essex gardening event for the BBC Essex Gardening Hour, please send all the details to me, Ken Crowther, with at least uh, two or three weeks' notice, either by email to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk or drop me a line to BBC Essex PO Box 765, Chelmsford, CM2 9XB. Coming up next, myself and Jeff will be answering your gardening questions and we'll get starting off with Vera in Hutton with her green fly and black spot problem. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour, every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex. Hello, good morning. I've got 42 different roses and I've been treating them with different names and what have you, but somebody told me there was a programme on the television one night, it was the gardeners of Buckingham Palace, and they said, if you've got roses, don't bother to spend money out on them, just use garlic. That's not very good for the economy, is it? You've still got to buy the garlic, so you're still spending money. It's a gar- yeah, there is a garlic... garlic with our food. So no, there's a garlic... always got it. There's and a garlic. There's a garlic spray, isn't there, Jeff? Yes, and it didn't work. I've got it in a bottle. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you, Vera. It doesn't work. Um, this whole thing about garlic, uh, when it first sort of came known, or, or people started saying you could uh, you could stop green fly and aphids on plants by planting garlic underneath them, I I gave it a go because you know I'm that sort of person. I'll, I'll, I'll try always, I'll always experiment. I was going to say you're gullible. Well, I am gullible. <laughs> well, I probably am gullible as well. So I. I planted a whole load of garlic under my roses and uh, not only did the roses get black fly but so did the garlic so I tried it I tried it once and I gave up well I boiled some garlic when I was told this last Tuesday yeah and I strained them off and I got about half inch up my sprayer so I put a little drop of water with it and I sprayed them Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday and oh I forgot Ken and I've lost all my mildew. And my, now it's nearly all gone, and my roses are all leaves, are all dark green and shiny. Well, there so you go. I wanted to ask you, was it true before I keep doing it? Well, it sounds like it's true, Vera, because it's obviously worked for you. But I think what you find with mildew is that mildew is always worse when there are dry conditions. And she's <laughs> so, wetting them. So wetting the le- it may just be the result of using, using water. But if you, if you think it works, carry on. Right. Uh, so shall I use just the liquid from the garlic or add a little bit something in the sprayer? Just a, a little bench up the sprayer or something. 
Well, the problem is, Vera, is that, you know, um, what you're doing, I can't comment on, to be perfectly honest, because it, it's not an approved pesticide by the true letter of the law, and I, I could get myself into big trouble if I, if I comment. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm, my lips are sealed. So what we really say is that Vera has used that method. It has worked for her. It seems to have worked for her, so carry on. Give it a go and tell us if it gets rid of black spot, you can come back and tell us that as well. But that will take you quite a few weeks to know because the new shoots will be coming out and you'll be able to tell from that. So let us know, Vera, whether that happens. And Pat is from Romford. Hello, Pat. Hello, Pat. Uh, hello, Ken. How are you? We're fine. And what are you up to? First time I've called you anyway. Good. But, um, I've got a problem with um, some lilies. Yeah. Um, I bought them from a well-known store. Um, they were quite... Um, when I bought them, uh, quite high, and uh, we left them indoors because we went away, and they were fine. Um, we bought them, well, I came home, um, put them out into the balcony, and they've been out there ever since, but uh, the flower part has come up, but it's, uh, it's got brown marks around it. So, <coughs> is, that, is that what, actually on the, on the petals, Pat? Oh, no, it's, it's on the, um, where, where the uh, flower is going to come through. So it's on the buds? Yes. And the buds haven't opened yet? No, no. OK, it, it could be a, it could be a, a leftover through. symptom of, of you having yeah. them in the house. Oh, right. So having them in, in quite a hot, dry environment indoors um, and then moving them outside, the, the alteration or the change in the growing yeah. conditions, because they, they don't like really that, being inside. Yeah, and I, I managed to get a neighbour that came in to uh, water them yeah, but I've watered them quite an, a lot, and I've, um, I'm feeding them as well. No, it's the air conditions that are the, so different from indoor and outdoor. That's the biggest right. problem. So will I get any flowers on them? Well, uh, it's impossible to say, Pat. I it's mean, it, brown it, marks, just, just, so just, just keep, um, you know, keep the compost moist, keep, keep feeding as, as and when necessary. You know, perhaps if you're using a liquid feed, do it once every week, every 10 days. That'll help, won't um, it? And keep your fingers crossed that they do open. OK, uh, moving on to Anne. Anne, what you got with your red robin? What's up with it? Well, I've got two down the garden, and one one of them has lost its leaves more. Yep. Now, before we came here, we used to have, um, we've been here 17 years, we used to have a nice red robin bush, and it mm -hmm. kept its leaves. Can you recommend one that's nice and red? You see them in other people's gardens. Now, you've got, if you've got a Fertinia red robin, you've got a Fertinia red robin. It, it's what is happening to your Fertinia red robin where you are now that is yeah. the reason it's losing its leaves. Um, I mean, I would say, have you watered it? Have you fed it? Have you pruned it? They're the three things that you might have to do. Have you done any of those? I've watered and I've fed. Good. But I haven't pruned. They do need a bit of pruning, don't they, Jeff? Really? Yeah, they well, they can do to keep keep them into keep. shape. But there is there is a, a a problem with fatinias going around at the moment, uh, which uh, is being called fatinia blight, um, just as a sort of a, a catch-all phrase for it. To be perfectly honest, everybody I speak to is not completely one hundred percent sure what it is due to. It could be a fungal disease. So obviously spraying with uh, one yep. of the um, uh, systemic um, fungicides could help protect the new leaves. But most people actually think it's what we call a physiological disorder, which is basically due to the, the, the variable growing conditions that we're getting at the moment. And Fertinias haven't enjoyed the last couple of years at all, have they? No, they haven't at all. And, uh, and it seems to be something that it's, uh, you know, it's not something that's happened this week or last no. week. It's something that has... Um, got worse over maybe three months, six months, or or even longer. So if it, if it's dropping its leaves, as Ken said, keep watering and feeding. And and if you if you've got some leaves on it, it might be worth spraying with a fungicide. But it might just be that you have got this this physiological disorder that a lot of fatinias are going down with at the moment. Yeah, it's pretty sick. It's really drooping and. You know, and as I said, you know, you go round the corner and you've got somebody there with lovely glossy leaves with yep. nothing more. Yeah, it does happen. You know, it happens to lots of plants, and there's no real reason. Yeah, you've it's, got it's, it's, it's basically the plant is under stress for some reason, and, and if you, if it's an old plant. You know, to be honest, it might it might be on its last legs anyway. You know, maybe you know. You said you've been there seventeen years. If if it's been there that long, it may well be that it, it's it's just had enough. Yep. 
Um, I think, personally, I think red robins have been overused in some of the wrong places as well. I think they get put in the wrong place sometimes, yeah. in very extreme conditions sometimes, yeah. you know, against the edges of walls, where against the roadside. Yeah. You know, it's not where they like to be, is it? <laughs> so, uh, let's move on. Let us know, Anne, how it gets on with your feed and watering. And uh, Jennifer from Burnham, sunny Burnham. You near the river, Jennifer? We are. Very nice, too. Can you help me, please? We'll try. Tell us more. We have a five-year, five, six-year-old greengage tree. Yep. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, it is suffering terribly. All the young shoots that are coming are absolutely alive with green fly. And it is... The, the young leaves are curling. There's an awful... Sticky sap drop into anything below it from it. Is there anything I can do, please? Okay, well, all all um, uh, members of the prunus family, which green gauges are one, you know, so that's cherries and and plums uh, and even ornamental cherries um, can be heavily attacked by. Uh, well, it's usually a, a black fly, but basically an aphid. It, the, how bad they are each year depends a lot on the weather uh, and I know I've, I was at a garden yesterday and, and quite a few of the, the cherries there were badly affected so obviously now that the, the, the leaves are curled you know, you're not going to be able to in inverted commas cure that right. um, whenever you think that there is a problem with it with a cherry or a, or a plum or a green gauge it really is, as with all things in the garden, you should get on top of it as soon as possible. The problem would have started weeks ago when the weather started warming up. And right. if, you'd, if you'd have checked your plants then, you could have perhaps got it under control. Now that, you, now that they are smothered, you know... You've got your work cut you've out. You've got your work cut out. So the only thing you can do is, is, is spray with an insecticide. Right, and at the same time, we w wish to keep it at a fairly low... Uh, so so that we can pick and it doesn't go out of control. Prune it this time of year. Should yeah. we... Prune it now. Trim it up now. Yeah. Yes. It has to be done in the summer. Yes, yes. So all those, even if I'm taking those effective young shoots off, it wouldn't hurt it? No, no, not at all. No. Not at all. That wouldn't do it any harm at all. Insecticides, do you have to be careful which ones you use on a fruit tree? Well, yes, you have to check on the label. Check the labels because there's it, less than there used to be, aren't there? it is approved for edible crops. Let's go back to Rosemary. Sorry to have kept you waiting. Right, Kane. <laughs> what you got a problem with? I've got a problem with my grass. Yep. It's full of clover. Mm -hmm. And I, just don't, I don't know what to do with it, um, whether to use just an ordinary grass and weed killer or to get a special one. Now, it's interesting, because um, this Clovertox went, didn't it, years uh, ago? Clovertox went years, Wasn't years that, ago. Now, that was a great product. That got rid of clover, it didn't did. it? Yes. <laughs> now, uh, personally, I wouldn't use a weed... Uh, well, granulars with this heat are not ideal anyway, are they, Jeff? really? Well, if you've got a problem, a severe weed problem, I, 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 would, best, I wouldn't they? use a weed and feed anyway. Liquids I, are best, I would use they? a liquid weed killer. So, so what? I mean, are there several on the, vari on, the, on the market that are ideal for clover, or do you have to look specifically for clover on the, on well, the labels? Well, they, they all say clover on the label. Are some better than others, well, do you one, think? The one that I, I prefer and the one that I would recommend is Vitax Lawn Clear. Yep. Which right, is I'll write that down. Vitex. Lawn clear. Clear, right. Now, the other thing you have to realise with clover is that not only trying to um, uh, kill it, there are certain other things that you need to try and do in, in your cultural management of your lawn to try and discourage clover. So the first thing is that it, you need to make sure that you feed it regularly throughout the year because clover doesn't like a rich soil. And if you feed your lawn regularly with a good lawn fertiliser, it makes the soil conditions less pleasurable for the growth of the clover. Also, most people cut their lawns too short, and that encourages the growth of the clover. So you should never cut it shorter than about an inch, and ideally an inch and a half high. Uh, clover is very uh, drought tolerant, so during hot, dry weather, it survives. It survives, <laughs> and the grass doesn't. And when, and when the grass is not growing, the clover takes over. And also, um, some clovers have very low spreading stems, 
and one way to try and get rid of them is to every time you mow, just before you mow, is that you rake the lawn to try and lift the stems up into the path of the mower blades and that can help reduce their, their strength. But the problem with that is that then you've got bits of the stem in the lawn clippings and if you then compost them, it doesn't kill the stems. And whenever you then use that compost on your beds and borders, grow. it grows everywhere. <laughs> They're like cuttings, aren't they? So you basically have to stop using your lawn clippings um, as, as uh, for making compost. All right. Does and that I help you? Yes. And you say liquid is best. Liquid is, is the best. only way to eradicate clover. Right. And is it all right to use it in this sort of weather? You don't use it in very hot sun. That's all. No, I, I would do. I would use it in the evening. Yeah, in the evening time. In the well, evening, that's... so it's got a lot longer time to work. Otherwise, it just evaporates. And make sure that you use. I was going to say a, reason, a, look... a reasonably high pressure sprayer, so that it produces small droplets. There's no point using it in a watering can because the, the the large water droplets will just bounce off the clover. So and, use a sprayer. And watch that that does not drift onto your bedding plants and plants. So be careful as you go towards the edge of your lawn. Right. And, okay. and my last reminder is we're talking weed killers, but we are talking lawn weed killers. I'd hate you to go and buy something that would kill everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, Rosemary. That's lovely. Thank you very much. That's a pleasure. Hello, Jeff. Good morning, Ken. I'm gonna, we've talked green gauges, and now we're talking Victoria plums, Victoria aren't we? Victoria plums, but it's not the same problem. Right. Um, the tree is about four years old. It's on a dwarf rootstock, so mm -hmm. it's about two metres high. Lots of spring blossom, all looked good until about four weeks ago when about 20% of the foliage drooped and the fruit shriveled. Now, I assumed it was lack of water, so I improved the watering system, and it's now on an auto morning and evening water, and I also removed that branch. Now there's a further branch that's developed the same signs. What we have noticed is that the bark on the main trunk is split. Is that anything to do with it, and can it be fixed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that, 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 that's your that's your problem, uh, Jeff. It, it is the, the the fact that the bark has split because obviously the the water vessels that move water up and down from the roots they will be just under the bark, um, and if the damage has been quite significant, it can actually rupture them, and so therefore water doesn't go from the roots to the top of the plant. So basically, on that side of the tree. Yeah, the, the the branches, the leaves aren't getting any water. So everything yeah. is going to wilt and the, the plant is going to try and drop all its leaves to try and reduce any shock. Right. Um, what you could try and do um, is if you can uh, pop along to a, a, a garden centre and get a grafting wax. Right. If they, or, or you can, obviously you can buy them or online. Online as well. Um, and then use that grafting wax to actually smear over where the crack is. Now that might help, but depending on how much damage was done initially and how much it has dried out since, it may have no effect at all. Okay. Um, and splitting can be d d uh, caused by by numerous things. Uh, Usually it is due to um, either getting a lot of um, hot direct sunlight, possibly after a cold night or which a cold day, a which has happened a lot this year, right. um, or um, um, problems with the roots and, and excess water being pushed up into the plant at certain times, followed by little water going up into the plant. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. Hello, Steve. You've got magnolias, is that right? Yes, we bought a couple for mail order. Yep. And when they, uh, they look very nice in the picture, but when they come, like, they were like two sticks with the roots almost cut off, and I didn't think they would grow, so I put them in pots, a little bit of compost, but the sticks are about well, two and a half, three foot high, and they're not really shooting, but they're all coming out from the base. I just wondered, do I cut them up or do I leave them? Uh, how long ago did you get them, Steve? Uh, early April. Right, I'd, uh, I'd, go back, I'd go back to the company. You don't, don't mention the company. I would go back to the company you bought them from and ask for your money back. 
they're not going to do any because they? they don't sound like the, the best <laughs> the best quality plants. They should be growing from the top, shouldn't they? They shouldn't be growing yeah. just. I mean, some magnolias are grafted, so you, you may find that it's the variety has died, and you've now just got the the, the rootstock that is shooting. So uh, it doesn't doesn't sound great. I'd ask you, I'd go and ask for a replacement or your money back. Um, they aren't. There's some good advice, yeah, because so often grafted stuff does shoot from the base when it's under a huge amount of stress or it's died back, isn't yeah, it? And absolutely. You're not getting what you paid for. Nope. Uh, let's go to Nick in Howe Green. Hi, Nick. Hi, Ken. Tomatoes. Uh, yeah, I, I like to grow my favourite tomatoes, Gardener's Delight, uh, from seed for eventually growing on in the greenhouse. Now, um, I sow the seed and I prick the seedlings out into nine-inch... Uh, nine centimetre square pots. Perfect. And my understanding is that before they're put into the main growing pots, you should wait until the first truss is set. Absolutely. Well, well, the first flowers have opened. Started to appear, yeah. First flowers, right. My question really is, how should I treat these little seedlings um, in the nine centimetre pots until they actually form this first, uh, these first flowers? Because this year, particularly, while I've been waiting for this to happen, the plants have got very, very long-jointed. They've mm. literally got up to about three foot in height. <laughs> very, very weedy-looking. Uh, should they be fed while I'm waiting for these uh, first flowers to come? Because this year, I haven't fed them at all. Once okay, they well, get into the growing compost, they, they start to look a lot more healthy. So, uh, presumably, you, when you prick them out into the nine centimetre pots, you used a good potting compost? Yes, just an ordinary general purpose. Yeah, well, providing it was a good quality one, there should be adequate feed in there. Shouldn't need to feed them, until you? Uh, well, right. until you've moved them into their permanent growing position and the first f uh, fruit has set. However, as yours have grown a bit weedy, which... I'm wondering whether to plant them on, wouldn't you? Well, uh, it's, it's a weedy. If if it's we're now the middle of June, and and in theory they sh they should have been in their mm. permanent growing position, you know, whether that's a pot or the ground or a grow bag or whatever, the beginning of June or the, yeah. or the last that's, week of May. That's when I did put them in. But what, what I'm saying is, in order while I'm waiting for the first flowers to come, yeah, plants are getting longer and longer and longer. What they would you do, Jeff? About three foot high and. Years ago, I never seemed to have this problem. Well, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't have. I must agree. Mine have done that a bit more this year. Yeah, again, yeah. and again, it is the weather. So, so, what would you do with these now? Well, I'd, plant I'd, them on. I'd, well, I'd certainly get them planted out, but feed them certainly. Feed them and feed them and plant them on. Yeah. Get going. And but, let, you're, but you're never. Go, you, you're always going to have the problem that the yeah. fact that they're they're tall and thin. They're going to have to be a, a lot of support. Rosemary from Rayleigh. Um, what do you got with your laurel? Um, I've got a problem. I've got. Um, laurels that are about six foot high now we planted them in the autumn and they've been lovely and they're growing but this week on one of them we've got like brown patches just just sort of brown patches uh, where, where are these brown patches yeah on the leaves yeah are they on the edges are or they in the middle? or in all over are they round are they irregular shaped brown. they're brown and they're just Starting at the end, like a rusty colour. So they're just on the tips of the leaves only? Yeah. Okay, that is uh, usually a symptom of either underwatering. No, they've been watered well. <laughs> well, you, you, you say that. Go on. You say you say that. Uh, we and, say and, not. And I'm never. I'm. I will never argue with somebody. But okay. that that is a symptom. All right. Um, that can be uh, exacerbated by cold, stroke, strong winds. Oh, the winds maybe. Yeah, because wind obviously and, the wind, wind acts. The wind acts like a. I mean, I, I I do have some that sort of go yellowy, and I just pick those off. Okay, well, yellowing could again be due to lack of water or a lack of feed. Have to nag somebody then. <laughs> y yes, I think you should. Um, while you're on, we want to carry on um, and put some more behind our shed because we've got a problem with um, noisy yep. neighbours. Um, we've got a metre between our shed and their fence or I our do. fence. Would that be enough to put another two in? Yep, no problem at all. It, 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 oh great! So okay, you've, you've got a width. You've got a width of three foot. There'd be enough um, light. Yeah, she says a wide, m meter wide. 
well, if they don't get any direct sunlight, it, it should still be okay. Laurels will grow in a little bit of shade if, if they don't get any direct sunlight. They might tend to get a little bit thinner and, and not as bushy as you require, but they would be fine. You okay. might just want to cut them back a little to, to help them bush out. And if yeah. I were you, I'd wait till the autumn and you can most likely buy a nice root ball one which will save you money and be a much bigger plant for your money. They are. Thank you very much. OK, Rosemary. And we now go to... Where should we go? I'll, talk, I'll tell you what. We'll nip down to Doddinghurst and talk to Dick and Doddinghurst. What you got, Dick? Oh, it's Vic. Henry, oh, Vic. Hello, I'm Vic. Vic, yeah, V-I-C. I'm doing a rockery and I've um, got it reasonably laid out and um, bought quite a few plants, but they're all either um spring or early summer i would just like to know if there's some that would go through the autumn you not, could recommend not really Vic. Not the whole, much, the whole thing about rockery plants They're is spring, is that they are the vast majority are spring flowering because of the way that they grow in nature is that they they need to get their their flowering out of the way before it gets too hot so the vast majority are spring. There are quite a few summer, as you've noticed, but there are very few that flower in autumn. You can try some of the sedums. Uh, sedums tend to be uh, reasonably sort of summer into autumn. If you've got the right soil conditions, you can try some of the autumn flowering gentians. Um, but bulbs. But yeah, you can uh, any of the sort autumn of autumn, flowering, autumn bulbs. flowering bulbs, dwarf ones, obviously. Um, but obviously, the best thing for for autumn colour in in rockeries is to rely on on quality, good evergreen foliage. So look for oh, different okay. different coloured foliage, different forms of foliage, different winter shapes. Heathers. When you go into winter, you could, you could put some winter, winter heathers, heathers into, into a rockery. Yeah. 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 Does what that help that? you? Into what? Sorry. Winter heathers. Sorry, what was the winter one? Heathers. Heathers. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that'd be helpful. And if I mix them in between, yep. I get cut. Oh, thanks very much. That's yeah, all right. That's uh, Vic from Doddinghurst. Uh, another great show is Michelle from South End says, she says, the water from a gutter is collecting our water butts. And I've I, I asked this one because I know what you're going to say. Uh, ideal for gnats to gnats and butt grubs. And what do you put on the surface to stop them? Olive oil. Olive oil. Little drop of olive oil. I knew you'd come up with that one. Or a lid. Or a lid. But the lids don't always fit very well. Come on. Be you, fair. Well, if you buy one with a proper fitting lid, it's, 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 the, it's the best option. 0300 200 4041. Hope that's helped you, Michelle, from South End. We're talking Tell high... you what. Tell you what. If, what? You, if you use garlic, because we, we started the programme with garlic, if you use garlic infused olive oil, it, yep. might, it might even have better effects. There you go. Christine from Thundersley, you've got a hydrangea you're worried about. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. It's a, a lace cap hydrangea and mm -hmm. it's growing in a pot. It's a big, big plant. Um, but we found that it's got little white sort of pustules on it, it on the underside of the leaves yeah. and down the branches too. I know. It's, it's, uh, I've, I've had so many emails about it's that everywhere, th wow. this week. Oh, uh, right. Uh, it's a hydrangea scale insect. It's a scale insect. Oh, yeah, right. insect, yeah. It's, it's sticking onto the, and it's actually reproducing, isn't it? Well, all that all that white stuff that you see at the moment yeah. are the eggs and the young, and oh. now is the time to do something about it. Um, right. And if you don't mind using an insecticide, then I would definitely spray it with an insecticide. Yep. And what the one, one would you use preferably? The one that I use is Bug Clear Ultra. Bug Clear, Clear Ultra. Ultra. And right. if you if you've got any old stems that are pretty, if you look in the bush and it's, you've got an old stem and you look at it and it's covered and it's not a lot of use, it hasn't got a lot of growth on it, cut the whole stem out and put bin it in the bin. Out. Yeah, bin right. it and bin it. And bin it, get rid of it. All right? Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, yeah. My husband went over it with um, soapy water yesterday. Very well, it gives them, a, gives them a bit of a wash, but it won't get rid of them, will it, Jeff? No, no comment, it's illegal. It's <laughs> Dudley in uh, Leon C. Hello there, Dudley. Hi, Ken. What can we do for um, you, Ludley? Right, I'm trying to understand uh, a bit more about these uh, fertiliser and plant feed ratios. Yep. Now, I get I get the MPK thing, and you get 777 and 111 and so on, and, and I do believe that it means basically 7%, so you get 7 grams in 100 grams of Correct. each yep. element. Yeah? Correct. Right, well, what I don't understand is why do we get... Uh, Fertilizer sold as seven seven seven, then one one one. 
I mean, one, seven times more concentrate. I mean, why are they doing that? It just makes it more confusing for everyone. Well, it depends on the time of the year and what what you're trying to achieve from the plant that you're using it on. So, for instance, in winter, you reduce the N because you don't want nitrogen on a, say, a lawn, for instance. You wouldn't put high nitrogen on in the autumn because you don't want soft growth in the winter. I think what Dudley's getting is at... Is that what he's it, getting at? Well, I think what he's getting at is why would somebody sell... An, an, oh, an, a 111. And nobody does sell a 111. No, it's a 777. 777 is, is grow more. That's, yeah, that's, that's very, grow more. That's very traditional. Why would, why would somebody have a... 10 10 10 for instance mm. which yeah. they use a lot in agriculture yeah. uh, or a 20 20 20 which they use in agriculture um and and it is basically that uh, you know, you can't put the if you're going to use a granular fertilizer apart from a controlled release for fertilizer, you can't put the plants complete load on for the whole year. So right. because a something like a semi soluble fertilizer like Growmore, it lasts for eight weeks. Yeah. So every right, eight weeks yeah. you have to put it on. Now, if you've got a, and this again, it doesn't really happen a lot with horticulture and gardening, but in agriculture, it that's why they it? have a 10, 10, 10 and yeah. a 20, 20, 20, because on, if they've got a plant that has a average feeding need, they'd give it a 10, 10, 10. If they had a plant that had a, a big feeding need, they would use a 20, 20, 20. 20. Now in gardening. Well, my point is why, I mean, if you're using liquid, for example, you yeah. would be diluting. Would you not just change your dilution rates to achieve the same effect? No, it's not as simple as that. Don't oh, work because like you will change the the uh, the effective um, rate at which the roots can uh, absorb it. And and all okay. all all manufacturers will do something. You know, you'll get a seven eight nine. You'll get a, a six seven four. You'll get a twelve thirteen two. Um, Unbelievable. And, yeah. and basically, don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry, don't worry about what, it. And find what works. If uh, well, Yeah, sure. So follow the labels and what everyone recommends. But therefore, where, where we go for, we get things like 101, you know. Uh, well, I mean, I've got a Vitex 101, which is used for uh, leaves and flowers. And yeah, so well, now on. you're uh, going into quite specialist fertilisers. Yeah. I mean, the whole Kempac uh, and Vitex Range. ranges, the, yeah, they are they, quite unique in doing specialist feeds. So you would yeah. get a a a one zero one because you don't want potash. Uh, sorry, you don't want phosphate in your feed. But but plants need phosphate, but they don't need as much phosphate. And generally speaking, as long as you've got one that's roughly seven 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 or six 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 or eight eight eight, that's your general. And if you feed. want more specialist, you have to go to a different company. You've got to look it up on on possibly on the web and and research it a bit for the specific plant you're growing. Yeah, and and then you want a high potash, so you want a, a six a six seven twelve, so that you are putting potash onto your flowering or fruiting plants. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther, every Saturday from 11. It is sometimes difficult to follow all these things, but John in Hutton, you are... What, what are you helping... What, have we helped you, John, or are we helping yes, you? Yes, indeed you did. Uh, several months ago, I was talking about my acanthus and how they get every year covered in mildew. Right. And um, I followed your advice. I thinned the whole lot out. I just kept two main root clumps, if you like. Uh, this, John, I hope, this is, I, I hope this has got a happy ending because this was the week I was on. I remember this question. That's it. Well, I thinned them all out as advised and I've had not a spot, not a jot of um, mildew at all. This Yay! Hey, that's good. John, that's really nice of you to call back and let us know. Yeah, they're all nice, bright and shiny green. Excellent. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for phoning in. <laughs> no, thank you very much, John. That is really lovely, lovely to hear, um, you know, because we don't often hear back from people, do we? That we've, that we've <laughs> given them, them the, the right, right advice. advice. Oh. <laughs> you always assume that silence means, uh, that yes. did, well, that didn't work. Um, can you kindly give some advice on do's and don'ts regarding growing beetroot and spring onions in containers? I've read somewhere that it's advisable to soak the beet seed before sowing oh, them. No, 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 no. no, no, and no, then no. Any help in the system would be greatly appreciated. Beet seed is pretty easy to grow in in a container, yeah. isn't it? In, uh, if you read a book from about the 30s, it probably did tell yeah, you it to soak today, it. Today, does it? The, at all. the new seeds that are available now, absolutely no need. And I, both of those would grow quite comfortably in containers as long as you don't let the moisture level drop yep. too much, because then or or get them waterlogged or waterlogged. It's just keeping them. 
touchable damp. Evenly moist. Evenly moist. Yeah. That's a better way. And of you can it. even use them. Even grow those in a in a window box. You can because uh, again, and don't let them dry out because then your beetroot will go to seed straight away. Yes, indeed they will. <laughs> so and, well, and so will your onions. Yeah. So. That's John in Doddinghurst uh, in Doddington in Kent. Thank you for that request there. We've answered that one, hopefully. And, liqui- oh, and liquid feed it. Liquid, oh, liquid feed, feed once a week. Beryl from Colchester is next up, and she's talking about a petunia that she's come across. What's the petunia, Beryl? Well, my son lives in Somerset, and I was down there the other weekend, and he's got this petunia that is the colour is literally black. The flower is black. And I just wondered if this was unusual. No, uh, there's one or two varieties. All the all the all, all the major seed companies will will sell seed of a black petunia. Oh, and it's the first time I've ever seen. One. I just wondered if it was unusual. No, no. I mean, it, it's a it's a very very deep purple when you look at it properly. But I, I I know the ones that you mean, and yeah, all the seed companies sell them. All right, thank you. It's just a quick. I just wondered, you know, if it was yes. unusual. Yes, anyway, so, sorry, 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 sorry. He hasn't got anything unique. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, that's Beryl from Colchester. As I said, there's a line free now. Let's hear your successes and disasters on 0300 200 I'm thinking of buying English lavender. Mm -hmm. How big... This is interesting because it says, how big will it grow and what conditions does it need? And then it says the plants are approximately one foot high with flowers on. So she's buying them at one foot high already. That's Mm -hmm. quite large, isn't it? That's a good-sized plant. It is a good-sized plant. Okay, lavender needs a very warm, sunny, direct sunny position. It needs well-drained soil. They do not like to have their feet wet in uh, winter. But obviously the soil doesn't want to be bone-dry during the summer months. If it's the straight species lavender, so that's Lavendula angustifolia, then it will grow to five feet. And then you have numerous varieties of it which grow to various different heights. So you've got things like um, Munstead that'll grow to about two and a half feet, Hidcoat that'll grow to two and a half, three feet. There's a, a pink form called Rosea that gets up to normally about three to four feet. But of course, if you prune them, you can keep them lower. So they are. That's the way forward. And uh, I have a pair of aces ailing. Oh, dear. Some dead branches. Main stems have got mottled. Mottled. Both have bright white powder light spots around the bottom four inches at the base. Any ideas? Rob, not a happy acer, I wouldn't think, would well, you? Well, uh, there's, there's a lot of unhappy acers. Again, I've had quite a few in, uh, email inquiries this week about acers sounding reasonably similar. And again, I'm afraid we're down to weather conditions not being right for them. Um, you know, we've had this quick, sudden spell of, of, of heat and warmth, and that's caught a lot of people out in that the soil has dried out very, very quickly, and they don't like dry soil. Um, and if you obviously if they're in a, a sunny position, which they, they shouldn't be anyway, the the strong sunlight that has suddenly appeared after sort of months and months of dull, that change in the conditions has affected a lot of aces. Um, but I don't like the sound of this white stuff that he's talking about. And no, it's around could, the base. And that could be um, that could be a scale insect again, like we we discussed. So it might be worth treating a scale insect first. Yeah. Yeah, as we discussed with Christine on uh, on her hydrangea scale, this is a, a different scale insect, but has the same effects. Let's check out the travel, and we'll come back to you. Uh, I've got a, a, a picture on email that I'd like to show you as well. I'd love to see it. You'd love to see it? I'd love to see it. Uh, let's go now to Barry in Hatfield, Peveril. We're talking Ken. hollyhocks, yes, Barry? Yeah, hollyhocks. Yeah. All the leaves are going round and just drying up. If you touch them, just for a bit. Yeah. You've got hollyhock rust, Barry. Common. It's very, very Sadly. common now on, on hollyhocks. A lot of people are no longer growing hollyhocks as a result. Um, m- most people now, rec- and this is what I recommend as well, is not to keep them going from year to year as a perennial. Instead, you grow them either as an annual from seed or, or at the very most, a biennial. And then once they finish flowering, you chuck them out because it's very difficult to control. All oh, right, nothing you can do for spraying with rending. Well, you can spray them with a fungicide if you want to, but by the time they're, they're that badly covered, you know, if you'd have done it, say, you know, in the early spring before it got a hold, you might have been able to keep it under control. But once that all the leaves are covered, the likelihood of you being able to clear it up um, is highly unlikely. And right. as I say, a lot of people now will only grow hollyhocks as an annual plant. Which is a great shame. 
It is a great shame because they're fabulous, shame, they're fabulous yeah. plants. Yeah. Okay, yeah. then, Barry. Okay, thank you very much. All Cheers. the best. And I must say this one um, soap suds illegal. You're so PC. <laughs> Well, if, if if I if I uh, if I gave the wrong advice, I know some, be, somebody be, might sue me. That's so right. I'm afraid I'm I am looking after my own po- pocket. I don't want to end up in jail, basically, everybody. I don't I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a six by six. No, let's talk to Bobby Walton then. What's what's up with your tree then, Bob? Well, it's a pr- it's a it's a plum tree. Yep. I think I don't think it's a Victoria, but it's a plum tree anyway, and it yep. always does uh, good. Um, this year, as you were speaking to somebody else, it's infested with uh, green fly, black fly, whatever. Uh Problem is, uh, you were saying about using um, insecticides on it. My problem is my plum tree is right next to our fish pond. So obviously I can't use it for obvious reasons. Is there well, any alternative? You could, well, you, you, well, could you, you, you could just cover the pond over. If, you, if the pond is small enough that you can put a plastic sheet over it to prevent the spray drifting into the water. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't risk that. OK. Uh, well, uh, then you can... Uh, obviously, you can prune out badly affected... Um, right. But then, obviously, that's going to affect the growth and, and possibly the the future yield on the tree. Um, or you can get a hose pipe with a with that's a best, with a jet sprayer on it and um, see if you can blast them off. The problem with doing that is that if you don't do it properly, you, you'll just blast them to, to all the other plants around your garden. You could blast them in the pond yeah. and feed the fish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that simple. <laughs> no, but seriously, that's about all you can do, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah, but there's nothing else you can do. No. All right. Uh, okay. And apparently you can't use um, soapy water. Well, you wouldn't use soapy water over a pond anyway, would you? Would you put soapy water in your pond? Well, I don't think it would be as dangerous as some of the other stuff that's used. <laughs> well, I'd, uh, I, I wouldn't I, put soapy I, water. I would, I would never put detergent. If you look at the back of your detergent bottle now, if, uh, this, this has happened in about the last year. Go and have a look at the back of your detergent bottle. There is a the huge exclamation mark that says, Warning, detergent, do not get anywhere near water. Courses. I mean, courses. Yeah. Water courses. Just, uh, and yes, it is illegal because it is not an approved pesticide. And by, the, by UK pesticide legislation, we have to it to is it. illegal for you to use it because it has not been approved outside as a pesticide and by the two letter of the law it is illegal for me to make any comment or recommend uh, it. John in Rittle has attached a photo of a rhododendron. It's uh, in planted in ericaceous compost. Some leaves are cream coloured edges this year. It does not look like intervenal chlorosis. They look very yellow, the whole leaf to me. Yep. Any ideas of possible causes and what to do? Uh, well, what it looks like to me is sun bleaching. So I think, I mean, rhododendrons do not like hot, sunny positions. If it's hot and it's not sunny, you can get away with it. And if it's sunny and it's not hot, you can sometimes get away with it. They grow naturally at the edge of woodland. So they grow where it's cool and, and lightly shaded. And it looks like it's either getting too much sunlight, it's not getting enough feed, stroke fertilizer, or a combination of the two. Okay, um, now we go straight back to the phones and talk to Vivian from Ramsden Heath. What you got in your garden then? Well, I'm very lucky that I made a decision this year with the different types of weather we were getting not to cut the grass so often. So what I've got is the most fantastic crop of white clover covered (laughs) in bees, butterflies and fine smells. Mm, excellent. Yeah, I mean, clo- clover is, uh, you know, it, it's a plant. A lot of people do like like clover. And the other thing is I have a lake on my land, which is half an acre. And I'm very sorry to say that this year, for the first time, it's drying out. And the ducks and the moorhens and the heron and everything else are very upset about it. I can understand I, I that. I'd be upset about it. And so we've just got to wait for the weather to change or for nature to change its mind or whatever. But it is sad to see things deteriorate so much so quickly. Uh, I, I agree. Um, and, and it looks it's like we're, we're due a, 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 quite, dry period. Well, a long dry period yeah. and oh. very variable weather this year because of um, sunspots, sun activity and, uh, and its effect on um, the Gulf Stream. 
Well, Which... that is very interesting to know. Thank you for giving me that, because I'll stop living in hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a heavy shower. But don't stop, don't no, stop living. No, never stop living in hope. We all live yeah. in hope. Yeah, but the good thing is that the clover is making up for the disappointment elsewhere because it's really a feast of flower, as I said, and, boy, have I enjoyed it, and still enjoying it. Excellent. Sounds good to me. This is a... Uh, we've now got an email from Jill Lashmer, who has got a strange plant, she says, in her garden. Um, it's just turned up. Can you identify, is it a weed? Yeah, well, that depends on your definition of a weed, doesn't it? A weed is a plant whose attributes are not yet discovered, or a plant that's growing in, fact, in the it's wrong quite place. Nice looking plant, or, isn't it? Or a wild flower. That's the other definition of a so weed. So, what should we call that one? Well, do you think? Well, uh, it's a very useful, practical plant. <laughs> in the olden days, if you uh, if you uh, made your own clothes, you uh, you you would always grow this plant. It's a teasel. It's, they're quite nice, actually, aren't they? In well, the right place. Well, they look like. They look they're healthy, aren't they? Well, they, yeah. I mean, do you want this huge thing? And then, of course, they'll self-seed and they'll be everywhere. Uh, and, yeah, and it looks like a bit like a thistle. So, yeah. you know, if you want it, fine. If you don't, don't. And uh, someone has texted in. Just get, give us a call. We can fit you for call in. 0300 200 41. Just clearing some of the um, rust-resistant, the Halo series. Have you, have oh, you ever tried those? Rust-resistant hollyhocks. They're not totally, though, are they, even now? Um, well, OK, yeah. Yes, the, the Halo series is, is seen as being rust-resisting. There's no I'm such, there's there's no such thing as a rust-resistant. And the thing with plant resistance is that over time, it breaks down. A bit like, you know, when we go yeah. for our flu jabs, each year they have to change what goes in it. Because the, it doesn't work. Because the flu uh, variant changes. Yeah. And, and that's the same. And it's exactly the same. So it will break down in time. You're pointing at another plant. Oh, we got another plant. Okay, well, it's... Uh, should we describe it? It's got green leaves and a, and a sort and of a, a white and a big -like white flower. spike. Well, it looks like summer sweet to me, Clethra. And that's George and Gwyn have sent that one in. So they are George and Gwyn. What are they saying? Just um, listen to the program. What a great program! Um, and it's four feet high, four to five feet high. Yeah, well, it'll get Could up it to be that? it'll get up to seven. And we now talk to Audrey from Rayleigh. Hello, Audrey. Hello. How right, can we help? Well, I've got an impossible question, I think. We'll give I've you got... an impossible answer then, Audrey. Yeah, an impossible answer. I've got duckweed and I keep scooping it off <laughs> and I can't get rid of it on my pond. Okay. Um it is um, an imp <laughs> it is an impo it is an impossible question. Is it yes. is it a, is it a shallow pond? Uh, it's about three foot. Yeah, so shallow. Yeah. The problem is with, with shallow ponds is that they heat up very, very quickly. Yeah. And as a result, things like algae growth and uh, um, duckweed are always worse. So right. if you if you can dig it about three foot deeper, <laughs> I'm gonna, I said you I'm gonna, I said I was going to give you an impossible answer. Dig it three foot deeper, and it and it'll be less prominent. I don't think I can do that. Um, apart from scooping it off, that's what um, you you can you, you can buy a chemical that, can that you? yeah 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 you can buy one if you go to any good aquatic uh, or pond right. centre that it's uh, hard work though it is hard work you, 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 don't, to, you, you don't can't just, do one application you don't just it's chuck clear. it in once and it gets rid of it and it, and again it won't completely and utterly clear it it will it will keep it within bounds right well I can't see the water at the moment it's thick I will give it a try. Like, I will do, yes, thank you. And get your spade out and go down another three feet. <laughs> OK. All right. Thank you very much. That's Audrey from Rayleigh, and uh, Cynthia Cook has sent us this picture of a... Of, it's actually it's an ornamental bird bird uh, bath yes. with a little bed round it, and then mm. it's got a horseshoe-shaped bit of dead grass around it, hasn't it? Well, you say horseshoe. I, I think it's actually because of the bird bath. I think it would have been a circle. Yes, I thought you were going to get there. <clears throat> it's the fairies have been in the garden, haven't they? It looks like a fairy ring. Fairy ring, do you yeah. reckon? Yeah, so a dead circle of grass. Now, is there anything you can do for fairy rings? Yes. What would you do? Uh, be patient. <laughs> Because every year it'll grow bigger and eventually it'll go into your next door neighbour's yeah, garden. Again, look at the size of the lawn. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cross well, the poor person's lawn well, take completely. A few years. OK, the, the other thing you can do is, um, is to water on a solution of uh, iron sulphate or sulphate of iron. One ounce in one gallon of water to treat one square yard of, water, uh, of lawn. 
But first of all, you must thoroughly spike the grass. So it goes down into the roots. Yeah, so you use a, uh, you use a garden fork and you make lots of holes, not only in the dead area, but for the g- thicker grass, sort of six to eight inches either side, and you treat that whole area... Th- and that will help to reduce and kill the fungus. You did say help. It. it will not necessarily clear it, will it? Well, not one, one, not one uh, solution. You might no. need to do two or three throughout the summer. But give it a go. Yeah. I'm showing you another nice picture. You are showing me a nice and picture. This is been sent in this as is a great, weed. Yeah. Now, this, is, this is great radio, looking at all it these pictures. Now, this is a picture pictures. of a, a, a sort of um, ground cover plant. It is a ground cover plant. And it has a green leaf that goes a sort of bluey red colour. Well, I'd say, say? say purpley. All right, purpley colour. Yeah. And this has been sent in by Nick Warner. Yeah. And he wants to know what the hell it is. Does he? It grows well in shady places. It does, but what yeah. is it? Can yeah. I use it as a ground cover? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. What is it? It's, uh, it's a viola. It's yep. a species of viola, and it looks like viola. Labradorica. They are. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the gardening advice, tips and events, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go. Just visit the BBC Essex website, bbc.co.uk slash Essex. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour, every Saturday from 11. BBC Essex.